Hello and welcome to this, which is, uh, let me think, it's our eighth uh, Smart Building webinar of 2018. And today we are talking AI video analytics and specifically trying to go through the question, will AI video analytics add real intelligence to video surveillance? Um, so yeah, specifically really talking about the application of um, um, artificial intelligence to video surveillance. And I'm really happy to have uh, Carter Maslan back on the webinar uh, this time. Hi, Carter, how are you doing? Great, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, just a couple of things I wanna to say to everybody. Uh, first is um, uh, just a big thank you to our sponsor, Project Haystack. Uh, and they are going a long way to try and help solve or simplify data for the Internet of Things. So it's an open source project, um, and I'd encourage everybody to go along um, and have a look. You can find them at project-haystack.org. Um, and it's, uh, it's an open, as I said, it's an open source project you can contribute to, and it <clears throat> helps to tag, semantically tag data um, for your IoT projects. Uh, and finally, just um, uh, a message to everyone out there. Uh, this is a Q&A, so it's not really, we don't really have a presentation today, it's, um, it's all uh, questions and answers, we're going to be talking uh, and we're just really going to be picking Carter's brains here um, about this uh, really interesting subject of um, AI and how it applies to video surveillance. Um, and uh, it's interactive, so if you have any questions, please type them in. Very happy to take them um, and I'll get them here and I'll be able to put those questions to Carter or indeed myself if you uh, if you have anything. So yeah, over to Carter. I'm just going to ask you maybe just to give a, an intro if that's okay. Sure. Sure. I'm Carter and I'm a co-founder and CEO of Cameo and uh, we started Cameo just with the grandiose ambition to make Google for the real world on that could operate on video in real time, but we've learned a lot in the course of pursuing that and one of the things that we've learned is that a uh, this whole notion of artificial intelligence and video analytics is not just video analytics that there's really kind of a sea change in people's view of what they can get from not only video but all the other aspects of building sensors and access control and your LDAP entries and your calendars and all kinds of things that I think are at the point now where there's a sea change where people are looking at in, instead of having individual applications that are kind of siloed on one function like line crossing or zone intersection they're looking more at the modern IT architecture that's driven all the innovation in the web which is just a lot of layers that can be put together easily and nice modern network APIs into great integrated solutions so the AI for us has broadened beyond just what you see in pixels in the video but what do you do about patterns over time and the ways that you want to have cost-effective integrations with all these other systems. So that's that's part of what I think teed up this conversation with you, Jim, was we're just noticing kind of people wanting to have this IT-oriented uh, modern programmability on what's happening in the real world, and video was certainly a key part of that. And so uh, that's what we're excited to be working on, and I figure we could just dive into topics on uh, things that we're seeing, but that's the general intro on what Cameo is doing. Excellent, yeah, and let's do that. Um, I, I mean, and again, I think our, the conversation that, that we've had, um, 
part of it recently kind of stemmed from some of the work I've been doing um, and that we've written about looking recently at what we consider sort of, you know, the um, innovation in, in generally in, in the, the tech world and how that I feel that that's kind of like filtering down to uh, video surveillance and specifically this kind of application of artificial intelligence. Um, yeah. And I, I'm sure you can speak to this uh, with more accuracy, yeah. but but essentially, I'm, I feel like it's a it's it's a combination or, or bringing together of different things, but 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 two main things, like one being this ability to or this improvement in algorithms for deep learning, and then this this new kind of type of architecture that they're using in terms of GPU to be able to process those algorithms. And and companies we've seen that are sort of now becoming more successful at, at applying that to problems like speech recognition. Um, yeah. Is that, am I sort of, am I in the right direction there? Is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, deep learning gets a ton of interest in part because the demos are sexy where you can just do searches for cats or <laughs> you yeah. can do search for FedEx or emergency vehicle or Ford F-150. And so its ability to have enough uh, intelligence to deal with all the different orientations and lighting conditions and stuff is really the thing that was so impressive, really starting only in 2012 or 2013 or so. And so that coupled with the compute power of GPUs that can just take a workload that used to be prohibitively uh, time consuming or, or resource and just getting huge multiples of performance out of that, that has really been, I think you're correctly characterizing that as like the fuel that has enabled this wave of uh, innovation and in, in really neural nets generally, not even just deep learning, which is usually kind of these deep nets that people you call like convolutional neural nets but all kinds of neural nets are just uh much much more capable now there's just great resources available and great tooling uh you know we, we've just been really impressed just even in the last year of how much great uh, tools and, and model development services are out there Right, and, and, and that's coming from uh, some of the bigger companies like Google, or is, is that just generally the, the, the ecosystem? Yeah. Are you seeing a lot of people yeah. focusing? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly the big uh, tech companies like Google with their TensorFlow model has been a great aid. Uh, Intel has got some great tools that'll take a TensorFlow model and port it to exploit whatever resources are on the chips that you're running on. So having a really flexible mix of CPU and GPU resources available, they'll target that for you. Uh, you know, and then you've got all of the people that are working on ways to uh, label and uh, develop training sets, which are critically important. So there's like a whole ecosystem uh, that's forming around the problem of like, how do you get machines to see and understand what's happening? And, uh, and you know, there's so many dimensions to it because it's assembly and labeling of data. It's the, all of the compilers that can get your models most efficiently running on various chipsets. It's all of the uh, data analysis and tooling that you, that you'd want to have for the output of these things. So there's a lot of layers, but that's exactly what is exciting to me now is that when I looked at the, at least the physical security building landscape 
uh, at trade shows in the past year, I was like, why is everything so vertically siloed where you walk the trade floor and it just feels like people are selling variations of the same thing on different brands. And it doesn't feel like a tech industry where you've got collaborating partners that are exploiting each other's strengths at different layers and stuff. And now I feel like that's happening at some level. It's, it's like the tech plumbing below is growing higher to start imbuing these other systems with that same spirit of, hey, I've got the best chipset for you. I've got the best TensorFlow compiler for you to use. I've got the you know best labeling service with human-assisted review. And it, so it feels, it feels exciting that we're getting that kind of uh, layered innovation that you see and drove the past 20 years in the web. Well, that's great to hear, actually, because, you know, I mean, it's definitely something that, that I felt as well when you walk trade shows, you know, in the f sort of four or five years ago yeah. or even, that, yeah, that it's... Um, that, that yeah. they're, they're, I mean, it's still like that to some level, but it's still like that today as a snapshot, but I can see that directionally there's a sea change happening where people are like, why, why can't I integrate you know this visitor management with my access control that's corroborated by video why why is it so hard to do that and so i think people are starting to at least ask those questions and then the it groups that are getting hammered with security vulnerabilities and and things i think they're a big driver where they're they're saying hey all the future systems we buy let's make them modern it oriented where people know how to grant limited scope authorization on resources and they know how to do things that are you know not requiring open ports that are the source of out, uh, outside attacks on our network and stuff so i think i think it's a combination of things one end users that are grew up on mobile phones are all of a sudden saying like why isn't this just seamless integration as i enter in my office and then you've got the uh, the it groups feeling you know, why has the physical security systems been in this kind of isolated area that, that doesn't know how to talk modern SSL and REST APIs over, over regular kind of uh, SaaS style integrations that they're doing with all their other businesses from CRM to ERP and others. So I think those two things are creating a sea change. Yeah, uh, it, and it's uh, it, it's really interesting, and I, and I think this getting these kind of different um, you know innovations coming from IT is is now really having a big impact on physical security. So uh, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it, it's great, and I know you know I mean clearly I think your you, your company is a good example of that. Like you've come from that world, and you're applying these techniques yeah. in, into into security. I guess that was yeah. um, something I wanted to dig in with you at the start is really, you know, what are your experiences of, um, you know, applying some of these AI techniques to to video? Because I know, I mean, you're, for example, your company is well known for, for being able to search video, for being able to yeah. type, type in, okay, blue van, um, you know, and be able to see, you know, to see that video straight up. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about like how that evolved and what challenges you've had, and, and how you think that 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 the, the, the you know that the, that's improved over the last two to three years. Yeah. So when we started, I think kind of the 
key thing that we realized is that if you're gonna, if you're, if you're recording video and no one's looking at it, then the, that category is really just liability archive. It's kind of like there's, there's not all cameras are created equal. There's some like a, a hotel gym where you may really only care about the liability protection of someone claiming that you hadn't maintained the treadmill correctly or something. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's all these other cameras where you really want to take action, whether it's like monitoring an oil pipeline or it's a security operations center for a large food manufacturer or it's a real estate company that's got, you know, sensitive building industry, uh, entrances and all these things where you really want to be able to know what's happening. It kind of raised the bar to say, okay, we can't just record video easily. We, ha we have to, it has to be smart. And so when we started that smartness quest, uh, we quickly real realized that if you ran, you know, deep learning labeling on every frame of video, like a, a lot of these uh, systems that are have beefy GPUs that are on site looking at every frame, you're you're going to have a very expensive uh, system because the compute power required to do these things on a continuous 30 frame per second HD video is just they're expensive beefy GPUs, and so we we went from okay, video has to be smart uh, to be useful if you want to take action on something to it's really expensive if you try to make it smart. So then the real engineering challenge is how do you do that at a low cost? Um, and so most of our efforts have been on delivering at low cost, uh, which has a whole bunch of stages to it that we've learned to that have to be uh, kind of sequenced to be able to get the cost low. So. Uh, so when it comes to our approach, our approach and what we've learned to about uh, artificial intelligence is it's it's really I think two big things. One is all cameras aren't created equal, so every single camera seen has different characteristics about what's interesting in it because it's not just the content it's observing, but it's uh, you know what is that specific camera's scene patterns over time, and uh, the second is that you have to do things in layers to get the cost down so you might want to first weed out all the background scene noise and and then determine whether it's an interesting motion flow and then identify salient things that are happening and then you know at the very tail end is when you want to apply the expensive compute so uh so in terms of our kind of history as a company we we started with just trying to get the pipeline vetted with these uh, repurposed cell phone apps. So early, early in the company, we were literally just having people's cell phones and tablets in the drawer as free cameras just to get the pipeline going. And then uh, it was when we were doing this video gateway that had this hybrid approach where you could have the analysis on the local network, but then coordinated in the cloud that was the big switch for us into this uh, B2B VSAS model with APIs that power other people's solutions. The key part of that powering of the solution was this on-premise video gateway that gave the flexibility to do these cost uh, tweaks. Because once you have something that can operate on a closed network, meaning there's no need for inbound ports, it can analyze the video on the local network, while having SSL only communication with uh, coordinated with uh, cloud services, then you have a lot of latitude in uh, changing the cost profile by camera, because uh, you can do things like 
schedule-based changes, uh, or we, we call it interest-based video compression, because it's basically changing its decisions on everything from the video encoding to the class of storage to the kinds of analyses based on what's happening in the video. And uh, so, uh, so unlike normal H.264, H.265 compression, where you're just trying to get video into a small representation, uh, this is like a layer above that where you use artificial intelligence to make the video change a whole host of things about the way you're processing it. And so uh, really that's where we are today is that we're really focused on this hybrid edge cloud approach with an on-premise gateway uh, that gives a lot of flexibility in the cost profile per camera. Okay, so it, you know, in a sense, my takeaway from that was that you're using AI in in quite a nuanced way, right? In in that you're looking at it to uh, help you com not just compress the video, but also in some way, you know, understand what is important and what isn't important in that in that image. Yes. Yeah, and the and the AI is uh, is at different layers. Like there's you have like a some AI that's just trying to guess on what's normal scene background. And then some AI that's learning importance of events based on the motion flows. And then some AI that is just got the task of visual analysis, which is what most people associate with these yeah. deep learning things. They most, they, they're like, here's a picture of X and then how well can you label X? Right. Uh, but that's really just one factor and because most most people with like practical video surveillance concerns, they you, you get a lot of value out of these other things, even before you know whether it's a FedEx truck or a van. You, you just being able to know what warrants human attention is a huge part of the learning. Okay, so, so, so it's important to know what you what the what the important things are in that that video image, and also what the exactly. what the not not important parts are as well. Uh, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and yeah. then that all helps when you're when you know where to then um, apply your processing power. Exactly. Exactly. Like uh, one of the things that is uh, that we do is like if you have let's say that you're monitoring a car dealership at night, you may have no activity from one a.m. to two a.m. Uh, and when you know that there's no activity, you can do a low res time lapse of that whole time period. So you still have the continuous auditable history that there was nobody in the lot at that hour, but you're not burning up bandwidth for things that might be connected over 4G networks or, or even, even with the regular landline uh, connections now, there are data limits and stuff. So there's even stuff like that that just makes a very pragmatic difference to the cost profile of deployments through AI. And so, uh, mm -hmm. so yeah, a lot, I'd say cost is a big focus of AI. Mm -hmm. It's kind and of like Google's data centers that get a lot of value out of just scheduling the cooling system. It feels okay. very mundane to say, you know, we've got, you know, years of research and it culminates in like your cooling system, but that kind of mundane stuff is actually really interesting applications of AI. Right, and no doubt it's saving them a hell of a lot of money as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, just a quick one for everyone listening. Uh, if you have any questions, please type them in. I'm happy to put them to Cardo, or if there's anything you want to ask me, uh, please do that. Um, one of the things I'm interested in as well, uh, Cardo, is when, when you, I think you mentioned your own nets earlier, Ed, it, is there a specific type of, um, uh, is that like the type of algorithm that you're using in these scenarios? Or are you, again, yeah. is, it, is it a certain tool for different, types of, uh, of processing yeah they well I mean there are different classes of neural nets so the ones that we use if you just kind of the definitional kind of recurrent neural recurrent neural nets versus LSTMs versus CNNs there are different classes of neural nets but they all have the uh, same fundamentals where you're just trying to have these statistical models uh, predict what you want them to predict based on the inputs. And so uh, there are a whole bunch, I mean, there's a, a lot of research that has gone into kind of the capabilities of the current class of nets and stuff. But, uh, but when you look at the research, really it, a lot of it comes down to the engineering practice. So it's like one of these fields where it's the practice of the art that is more interesting to people sometimes than the actual research parts of it because uh, because there's so much that's predicated on data and uh, how you kind of strategize on what attributes of the data you're feeding into the nets and stuff it becomes an area that is got a lot of good choices but and a lot of experimentation uh, mm -hmm. it's hard to predict it's hard to predict what works without trying stuff so you know, as a company, Cameo is very focused on just the speed of being able to try stuff as hypotheses, because that's really what you need. I mean, you can develop an intuition over time in a certain domain of problems and stuff, but uh, but one of the key things is just making sure you're iterating quickly, uh, because that's how you solve the problem. It's, it's hard to do it just looking at things at face value and, and saying, oh, here's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, so so it's really interesting but the short short answer is yes there's a lot of different kinds of neural nets uh we use the regular re recurring recurrent neural nets and the lstms and cnns uh so there's different classes and and how critical to this process is the kind of training data so i mean I, I sometimes get a sense, especially when you know you look at what other like the bigger companies are doing. You know, they talk about natural language processing and and speech recognition. Is that they're obviously collecting all of this data from from us all the time, and that's essentially being used to train these algorithms. Um, can you, yeah, I mean, is that really how it's yeah. working, or, or how how is well, how is that process? It, it, okay. I mean, uh, the, I mean, at the core, yes, lots of data is definitely critical. However, what's happening is some of the big uh, tech players and even the open source efforts are delivering lower layers in the model uh, that you can then specialize with less data. So it's the interesting thing to me is that when all of this started, people were saying only the big tech giants are going to be able to do this because you only they have the size of data that could make this productive because uh, every everybody else is going to have to do algorithms where they just come up with heuristics uh, but what's happening is some of that huge data set 
uh, value is getting baked into layers that you can then use and specialize in subsequent layers. So it, when you uh, are doing development, let's say just, I'm going to just simplify by saying there's four layers and let's say the first layer is the most expensive where you're understanding the features of an image, you know, whether it's like the edges or boundaries or whatever, that's what that neural net is kind of firing to try to do. And then you have subsequent layers that will uh, learn other aspects that are piled on top of each other. And some of the uh, uh, cool kind of open source efforts even are, are publishing things that are already giving you that first couple layers and then you uh, are putting your layers on top of that. So uh, that's a long way to say that uh, it is a big data problem for sure, but uh, there are techniques where you can exploit uh, work that preceded you and, and then have your data not be so massive like you might only need a thousand samples of something not you know 14 million uh and so right. uh that, that's another big focus of ours is like if you're doing if, if each camera is different and the interesting things are different in each camera then you have to learn more quickly than having millions of data points because you don't want people to have to wait you know a month before their cameras are smart and so you basically come up with techniques that amplify the feedback you do have uh, so that you can learn faster or uh, you, you have models that can learn faster from fewer data samples. And so uh, anyway, it is a big data problem, but there are things that are making it more accessible even to smaller amounts of labeled data. Right, I, I guess like most things, it's, it's more nuanced than that because not all data is, yeah. is relevant all the time. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and picking what you wanna feed, that's kind of the art part is like, uh, you know, you can have the, you can have like unsupervised learning that kind of discovers the things that you should be paying attention to, or you can kind of supervise in a way that kind of directs the learning uh, to try to do it with perhaps less data needed. So it, there's, it's a very, uh, it depends kind of answer, which is part of what we're trying to solve is like, how do you get away from it depends answers and get more towards recipes that everybody can understand up front and just say, yes, I want to solve this problem in workplace safety. And I understand we're going to have this, uh, this number of false positives, this number of false negatives, and it'll be roughly this amount of compute costs. So we're trying to get that more standardized. So it's not a long discussion like this over all the different choices, methods and stuff. Uh, so question here coming for you. Um, it's just asking what, what are the main verticals using AI um, and what are the specific applications? So, I mean, is there, I mean, we, we talked, I think about one application of a, where you're using it to uh, work out what's important, right? Within, within the mm -hmm. image. Um, are, there, yeah. are, you, are you using it in, in other aspects of, of your system? Uh, yeah, well, it basically, if you just look at the, from the time that like a video pixels recorded through the time that you're doing a search, uh, that goes through the uh, neural nets that are just adjusting to the background scene noise, like shimmering leaves or rippling water, to the neural nets that are looking at the motion flows to say, you know, does this intersect with is this motion flow pattern interesting uh, in terms of the size and direction of movement and stuff? And then there's 
others that say, okay, given the fact that it intersected some zones that, that were explicitly marked as interesting, like you, I really want to know if people come into the front entrance of my store, those kinds of things will uh, provide feedback on whether the event's interesting. And then finally, what user actions take. So if you've got a security operations center that's reviewing, uh, you know, alarm triggers or things that warrant attention, then the things that they play or share or save, those are also feedback loops that get processed offline in retraining the models. So uh, part of the thing about having this stuff cloud connected is just so that you can do this closed loop training. Because uh, otherwise, you know, you can't just put a system isolated and expect it to learn magically. It's got to have some feedback to know whether it's right or wrong. And uh, and so that closed loop and, and just the way that people use the product. So you don't have to go in and say, I'm, I'm training my video analytics. You, they just say, I'm using my, I'm using the video for my security operations center. And as a byproduct, the things that I do are providing valuable feedback loops uh, that will get my camera smarter to be a better uh, lookout for the things that should get my attention. So short answer is that all of those layers have their own strategies and feedback loops on training the models. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it, uh, Sorry, I was, yeah, I was going to say like, and you know, you mentioned their security centers. Are, are there sort of specific verticals? Where you think, or people have approached you and said, like, we we assume you know, it's a huge problem for us is you know having too much video to watch or whatever, and you know, can you help us solve this? Uh, and there, I mean, yeah, that I mean that that's basically there, there's a at least our focus area is on people that need to take action on what's happening, uh, and which which. Uh, is not all cameras clearly because they're like I say some are just for archive liability but people uh, that have distributed facilities uh, you know even even multi-campus corporate buildings and stuff mm. uh, they'll they'll want to actively monitor things that are unusual and so uh, that is a core focus of ours and uh, the kind of the sweet spot for cameo at least is people with a lot of distributed facilities where they want to have an efficient uh, security operation center that can know what's happening uh, and act on it. And so that's that's where the, the unit of measurement is like cost per monitored video hour, you know, as opposed to just recorded hour. And so that's where there's big savings. If you can, if you can take something that used to take, I mean, just to give you a trivial example, there's a, a, a large office building where, people the tenants would complain that their water bottles were went missing over the weekend mm -hmm. and and that used to that used to take you know the security staff you know six eight hours just to find what happened over the uh, two and a half day weekend period and you know to be able to do that in five seconds is is a big productivity savings but then you apply that same kind of savings of like four hours to five seconds on being able to act on things uh, that's that's what our core focus is, is like efficient, cost-effective remote video monitoring. Cost-effective remote video monitoring, right. And have you been able yeah. to um, measure like that productivity gain? 
we have in like uh, investigative scenarios where people will say, you know, this took us literally five seconds, which used to take us four hours. Mm -hmm. uh, but that four hours, that four hours was inclusive of, uh, you know, I, sometimes it was even inclusive of having to get like a USB thumb drive to get it off the on-premise NVR and then import it and then watch the linear playback and then, you know, ping pong between hours until you saw the missing thing. So it, it, it's, it varies, but we don't have, I, I think we should have uh, like uh, a published kind of study because I think it'd be really helpful for our own marketing just to show the stats from places. But we have to work with people that will share their stats and stuff. So uh, we, we, we don't have anything published, but I think that would be a great research publisher uh, topic is just to show the before and after if people would share their data. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the trick, isn't it, to get people to share the data? But I, yeah. think, I think as an industry, yeah. you know, that isn't, I mean, that's sort of a criticism of mine is, you know, sometimes I think we focus too much on the tech of it, you know, like how many megapixels that yeah. camera has or whatever. And rather than, you know, yeah. okay, like this is the measurable benefit that we can that, that we can see from um, from using these techniques. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of. And some of the things are, the problem is that if, if there's some uh, deterrent effect, then that takes a long time mm. uh, to measure the deterrent effect. And then uh, if the events are very sporadic, then it's like you, you may gear up to do a study for this 30 day period, but then you know the event you were trying to prevent didn't happen until day 36. You know? So uh, there are problems uh, with that, but I think, I think just looking at it as like monitored video hour cost uh, that, you know, if you care enough to have a building that has a secure entrance or something, mm. uh, then measuring how effectively are you securing that interest by not, by not missing events and by being able to respond to things that should be responded to. I think just that as a unit of measure is, uh, is helpful. Mm. Do you have examples in other verticals of like, Use cases, I mean, like uh, retail or transport or, or areas like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's that's part of our problem is that there's so many different scenarios that we were trying to focus on this security operations center because that's mm. like a, a clear area. But people are using it from everything from, uh, I think I had maybe previously mentioned to you people wanting to use uh, the technology to count yellowfin, bluefin, and marlins on fishing boats, even where uh, you know they they are out at sea for three weeks recording video, mm -hmm. and for regulatory compliance and fisheries management, they want to actually count how many different fish were caught on these long line tuna boats and stuff in the South Pacific, and so that they're like those kind of really non security oriented scenarios of. Uh, AI and analytics, uh, and then there are things like you know uh, mines where they have remote facilities that are just over 3G and very quiet scenes, but they just need the most bandwidth efficient way to know if uh, there's sabotage or theft or or things on those remote facilities that are hard to get people dispatched to, and so uh, that's more of a challenge of interest level with very extreme bandwidth efficiency than just really fancy uh, 
AI analytics. So the spectrum is very broad. Uh, there's a, there's companies that specialize in things like retail and stuff. We we don't specialize in that ourselves, but uh, there there are a wide range of scenarios. We're we're just focused on this kind of cost effective remote video monitoring for security operations centers as our kind of first focus area. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. But it, as you alluded to, I think you know when I think what really excites some people is that you know the potential beyond security. That, that maybe this this kind yeah. of AI well, offers. Yeah, well, I mean, even the convenience factor, like everybody with these shared workspaces like WeWork, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they go into a big office tower and let's say you have an appointment at 2 p.m. to meet somebody in a shared office space. And if the front desk in front of the elevator has a 15-person line uh, waiting to check in with a security guard that doesn't know who you are from Adam, and makes a phone call to see if you're expecting the guest and then issues you a temporary paper badge that checks you in through the elevator gates, but it doesn't work when you get to the office uh, access control. It, it, it's like that kind of sequence, even if it's just the convenience of being able to say, hey, I have an appointment with Julie at 2 p.m. and I literally just walk in. What could be possible is you just walk in with your phone uh, and you're, you've got a QR code that badges you in and you meet the person because they got a snapshot of your face with a quick SMS that lets you in with a QR code. You know, so th those kinds of convenience scenarios that people say, why can't you do that to make it that easy uh, to have these uh, large office buildings with shared spaces with secure access that just flows from all of the signals from people's email addresses and calendars and LDAP entries and stuff. why can't you make that happen? And I think that's the thing that's getting people excited on the non just security side, but just like convenience and ease where it's, I kind of view it as like ambient computing. It just does the right thing based on all these signals that it has uh, to let you do your work and just flow, but still have the security behind it. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a question I've been asking myself for quite a few years. You know, why, why has there not been more integration? But I mean, it, it's because it's been so hard. It's like if you go with any of these integrations, it's unbelievable where they'll say, well, step one is install these ActiveX SDK controls on premise to, you know, it, it's just crazy. So uh, most of the trend, I hope, is that people use these modern network APIs that, that are just all about interop and, yeah. and and not even at the level of knowing any kind of, I'm not talking about standards, like not, not like data standards or anything, but just the basic ability for two things to talk to one another securely. That's, that's like step one. Uh, and th that's really where we are with a lot of these systems is that they weren't designed that way. They were designed initially for these on-premise siloed systems and they and they they need to get these uh, kind of modern apis around them just for basic interop right, absolutely and, and you i mean we're talking about security now but i mean equally we could be talking about uh, various other smart building applications you know building energy management or uh, uh, lighting yeah. controls you know they they are they are siloed um, this isn't a unique, yeah, this yeah. isn't a unique problem to security it's just i wonder why well, I think from my perspective, there's a couple of things. Like one, perhaps, is there's just a huge amount of legacy that comes with 
yeah this industry right of like the way that it that it's been done before and uh, and and I think some of these techniques like a lot of manufacturers are perhaps you know uh, a bit reticent because they're not sure how it impacts their business in the long run you know the the you know if they if they perhaps sort of I guess they think if we take on these sort of new open standards and new APIs, does that mean that we lose perhaps business somewhere down the line? Uh, I think that's the wrong yeah. way to think the wrong way to think about it. But I, I do sense sometimes that 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 has to be one of the reasons why it's not moving faster. Yeah, uh, yeah, th th I totally agree with that. And and I think at least here in Silicon Valley, some large uh, tech companies and and not just tech companies, but property management companies and others are starting to say you know we're just not going to buy with an architecture that is going to not meet our needs and we might have to refresh our purchase in three years so they're starting to demand these interop standards yeah. so i think that's the point it, it's only when the end user big buying customers say it's not acceptable for you to send sell us a system that's can't talk to anything and has vulnerabilities and we can't integrate with in the way that we want uh and so i think that's what is changing is that now people are starting to say that they may not have immediate uh choices but they'll just say i'm going to just postpone my my purchases until this is the way that i want it because i don't want to have to do it twice yeah no it's a great point i mean that's what's really going to drive change right the end the end user and yeah and then the system yeah. is demanding, demanding better interoperability. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and, and, and just pointing out that it can be just complete win-win. Like it can drive new business for people. And I think some of the reasons that people haven't moved is they just have mismatched expectations. Like we, I was talking with one company that was saying, you can't annotate video with access control events. We get over a million and a half badge ins a day that's like volume and i'm looking at that saying that's a trivial number mm. <laughs> and so it's like i think there's some mindset where you know an on-premise system says well how are we going to handle that many and, it, and that's such a low number in terms of cloud web scale that uh i think there's some just cognitive reorientation and then some kind of consume the end customers banding together saying this is what we demand of our systems uh, that starts affecting the buy cycles and then uh, the industry will start changing, I think. So that's that's where I feel like we are right now. We're just like on the verge of this sea change. And do you think that's going to have a bigger impact than some of the things we've been talking about around AI? I mean, personally, I just think AI is much bigger than video analytics. So people tend to put AI in the category of video analytics. Mm. Uh, where, and, and that, to me, when I hear video analytics, I think of things like zone intersection and line crossing and, and license plate recognition and stuff. And uh, what I really think is that once you have interop and you have many different kinds of data signals uh, and many different ways to make things more useful, uh, that's the bigger energy behind all of these uh, system changes is that it's like, it's not just that I can do like a better line crossing or something. And so that's, that's the thing. I think the two big things are AI is much more than just video analytics. It's the, all the smart plumbing that goes in connecting everything and how it behaves when it's connected. 
And then two, uh, this interop around modern IT practices is the thing that, that really unleashes the layered innovation that you see in the web. And so I think those two things are, are kind of the key that'll get things moving. Right, and if we can bring those two things together, then who knows yeah, yeah. Know, with, where with we can take video surveillance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically like enabling machines to see and tell you what warrants your attention. It's like a, I mean, everything from OSHA workplace safety, we have customers that wanna know, hey, can you tell me anytime somebody is on premise without a hard hat or you know, a, a, a vest for their personal protective equipment, PPE. Right. Yeah. And so there's, there's all kinds of uh, things where people just uh, have good economics behind it. It's like, I don't want to send an inspector with a clipboard only for periodic sampling. I'd love to just have machines that understand what are risks that are happening to help mitigate them. And so all of those kinds of scenarios come from being able to program these things and, uh, and have the data flow to the right people with the right permissions, with all secure network communication. So all of this stuff I, I think is going to put pressure uh, if as customers increase their demands then things will start changing right their expectations grow because i mean you used the analogy before yeah. and i think it's a it's a valid one about you know that people in their day-to-day -day lives um things just work together now for whatever right. reason right so i mean i guess that hopefully has an impact on what people's expectation is for what they should uh, or the end user's expectation yeah. for what they should get out of uh, a video surveillance system. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's been a well-tread pattern where it can, even things on the consumer side, they grow with such scale and then their expectations, there's a lot of comedians that do jokes about that where you're on the airplane at 35,000 yeah. feet complaining that you can't watch your <laughs> you know, latest video you know, or your entire music library is not accessible. And, yeah. and so, I think it's the same thing happens when a millennial walks into a, a WeWork office building and is like, what do you mean you don't know that I'm here? My phone is here with me. And why are you giving me this temporary badge when I've got my phone on me? And so, you know, so it's the same kinds of uh, consumer expectations infiltrating enterprise stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've had a, another question come in, interesting one. Um, so how do you integrate your, uh, you know, your, your software, your um, into a VMS software. Um, are you doing that? Do you have some sp specific examples of where the two are kind of working together? Yeah, like we lit up some cities that had uh, a milestone VMS, and basically anything that has an RTSP stream works with Cameo. So we uh, we just plug into the RTSP streams of the videos to do on-premise analysis part. And then you can deploy, when you've got something like an NVR or a VMS on site, you can even record the high-res video only in those systems and then just have like what we call lazy fetch of the video. So Cameo can still extract the information content for fast search and alerts. And then only when you press the play button will it go fetch the, back, the video backing. So it gives you a really bandwidth efficient way to to make the video smart and responsive without necessarily moving video around. Um, so the short answer is any any uh, NVR camera or VMS that provides an RTSP stream 
uh, or not even necessarily RTSP, any H.264 video stream uh, can be made smart. Uh, so that's and then so that's how we work with it. The on-premise gateway just analyzes those local streams. Okay, um, and you also have like a fairly a standard like RESTful API as well. You, is that right? You can you can make yeah. calls to specific. I mean, how does that work? Yeah, is it per, yeah, per well, stream the, of video? Is it all? Yeah, you, the the general architecture is that there you can register hooks, uh, which are like callbacks when certain things happen. So, just as an example, let's say that you you want a uh, a human to review any time a person approaches the rear loading dock between two a.m. and six a.m. You can you can fire a hook, you can register a hook rather on the query two a.m. six a.m. people rear loading dock. And anytime an event matches that query, that hook fires and includes uh, all the descriptive information of the event so that a human, a review system could take a look at it uh, to, as a way to extend the functionality of just a VMS. You could, you could hook it into any kind of workflow because of the fact that you're connected to the, to the cloud and you can do these programmatic calls via hooks. Um, but it's not just for those workflow hooks. You can also do additional analyses or data collection. So you can also say, anytime a car approaches the garage entrance, I want to fire a hook that does additional analysis of the make and model or of the license plate. And so uh, the idea is that the pipeline is totally extensible and programmable. So you can add additional labeling services. You can add additional data streaming services, you can queue up workflows for people to take a look at stuff. All of that becomes uh, programmable just with REST APIs. All, everything is just JSON and SSL REST APIs. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then it's uh, it's up to the individual then or, or, the, or the organization to decide what it is that, you know, they're interested in and how they want to handle that, that information. Right. Yeah. Right. We we just will compose uh, customized subscription plans that can say, okay, I want to have uh, make and model of car labeling and face detection, but not necessarily face recognition. But then I uh, I need 90 days video history for my compliance. So you basically put this a la carte menu of services that you want applied to your video. And then uh, it spits out a subscription plan with that exact service plan. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it can even include things like varying the recording schedule. We, we have some, some people where they really just care about nighttime monitoring. And so they don't care about all the daytime activity. So they may say, you know, during the daytime, I still want to alert if emergency vehicles are on the site, but I don't need to record anything during the daytime. Just make me aware of any events that warrant my attention. But at nighttime, I want full HD recording and proactive alerts on all events. And that kind of schedule-based varying of your service level is also uh, built in. Mm -hmm. in the, I've got a, a few minutes left. Like, so anyone else who has any questions, please put them in. But I also you know, wanted to sort of dig in a little bit and uh, I guess this is actually just more about your your opinion but um, I mean what from what I've seen like in the general IT world is there like a ton of money being put into uh, chip companies especially the ones that are now focused on kind of AI applications um, you know 
and what what has sort of driven the traditionally driven the the IT company, you know, Moore's Law, and that continually, uh, you know, increasing processing power. Do you think that that this is kind of the the new Moore's Law, right? Is that that increasingly the 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 the, the IT industry is going to be driven more by like these algorithms and and these sort of new i the, the new chip companies that are trying to fuse hardware and software together yeah i mean i think the demand for compute power will be insatiable for as far as i can see because the things that you can do with uh increased compute it's all about like the price and the power consumption even heat and stuff so uh there's there's going to be innovations in those different dimensions like you may just have like a super powerful capable chipset but then another one may differentiate by saying well we may not be quite as powerful but look at how low our energy draw is uh, or or this one will say now we can do the same level of compute but we can keep our heat profile so low that you can deploy it without breakable fans out in the desert in the middle of texas and so I think all those dimensions of, uh, so, so basically, I, there's no shortage of uses for this increased compute power. And I, I, in this contrast from maybe even like six years ago where people were saying, you know, I'm not sure faster clock times and CPUs matter that much anymore. Now all of a sudden it's the opposite. It's like, oh my God, we've got so many things we'd do if we had more compute power. So uh, I, I definitely think that the investment is both warranted and interesting because I think it's going to open up so many things uh, by having that massive power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So, it's, it's a very yeah. kind of broad question, but it's, it's interesting to yeah. you how this I mean, seems. It, it, and it may not, maybe the difference that you're getting it. I don't know if it's like, instead of just looking at a single processors, more law curve, it's more like, how do you put together a combination of things? Like how does the GPU talk to the CPU? How do they share memory? I think there's going to be things that are bigger impact to what you can do than just looking at the speed of a the clock speed of a chip. Uh, so maybe that's what you were getting at is that mm. it's not Moore's law in the sense of just like these linear clock speed flops, but it's more like the architecture behind the way these chipsets work together. Right. Uh, that's, that's opening because because you end up with bottlenecks that used to not be bottlenecks. Like, how do you get data from the CPU to the GPU and back? Uh, and then those kind of uh, those kind of bottlenecks and just shared memory become a problem. And so, uh, I think those are the kind of innovations that uh, people will be working on. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, it's the it's just a fascinating time to be be watching these kind it of uh, technologies develop so, and and then again like trying to work out how it how it impacts on you know video processing uh a uh, couple, yeah. couple more questions for you um and at the, specifically regarding cameo uh where is your is sort of the deep learning then in your system running uh it's it, is it at the edge or in the cloud or or do you have like your own kind of vms uh it's both it's a hybrid so uh, some of the deep learning runs on the edge, meaning for us, the gateway. I mean, eventually I hope cameras have the ability to do it, but uh, 
you know, if the camera's chipset can't do it, then the, at least the Cameo Box video gateway does it on the edge. And then we have uh, some in the cloud. So it's very much a hybrid because uh, you, you basically have different things that run better at different locations. And, uh, and we do both on, right. on box deployment. I was going to say it's, it's a trade-off then, is it like some things are better processed at the edge and some things are better processed in the cloud? Yeah, like like some models, when you when you do a deep learning model, they can be they can be big and small. So you might have a model that could be like 500 megabytes or one that's like 100 megabytes or something. And so uh, moving that model to be run at the edge for inference uh, is simpler when the models are smaller. So you kind of if you think of things as like a funnel, you know, you kind of want to put your your cheaper, easier stuff that's filtering a lot at the front end on premise at the edge and then reserve the deep, complex stuff in the cloud where you don't want to be shipping around these huge models to all your edge clients. Uh, so it's it's always going to be a hybrid, I think. And that's part of what that's the other part that we focus on a lot is like putting the right compute at the right place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sort of a European specific question here. I don't know if uh, you've got a view on this, but um, I, again, around data privacy, right? So, you know, uh, a lot of talk over here about uh, GDPR. Is that yeah. something which is going to impact the way that we can process data and what we can keep and, and, and how, you know, in inverted commas, yes. how intelligent we can become? Yes, definitely. Like the GDPR compliance, it's it's. I think it's a great directional thing, and it's it's a good thing. But it also had like really bad negative consequences. Like one of the directives of GDPR is that you have to be able to delete all the data associated with a user when they close their account. And the irony of that is that that means you now have to correlate all the data with a user because <laughs> right. if you're if you're promising. If you're promising to delete it, that means you know what to delete. And so there are these unintended negative things. But in general, I think everybody's going to have to be super careful about the way they store uh, information uh, to make sure that, especially when you look at things like face recognition, uh, you know, Cameo stores hashes of people's facial features if you enable uh, face recognition. Mm -hmm. And those hashes, those hashes are truly meaningless. They're just like, you know, strings that are uh, encoding of that facial feature. So you could, you could uh, find that person. Uh, but, you know, that, that raises like implications on how, what do you do with those hashes? If they're not personally identifiable information, and you're not even sure they're correlated with any particular person because you could have inaccuracies that commingle those hashes and stuff. So it, there's all kinds of interesting things that have to be uh, thought through, but I think it's all goodness in the sense of this move to like modern IT, good data privacy, transparency on what you're doing with data, data liberation, meaning you can export and take your data with you. All of these things are great. So I think overall, I think it's a great thing. Uh, there's just some gotchas that I think were unintended uh, that I think will probably be adjusted over time. Yeah, right. Some kinks, I guess, to work out. But, you know, I don't think that's, yeah, uh, yeah. that's, that's normal, I think, in, in that process. But, yeah. yeah, that's an interesting interesting insight. Yeah. Sure. Carter, is there, um, 
I guess one of the final things to finish off, I know uh, you've talked about interoperability, but you're, are you specifically working on that now? You're looking at some open initiatives um, that you're working, yeah. you specifically well, working on? Yeah, we, yeah, well, some Bay Area companies wanted to form uh, this opensectech.org, and we started and have like founding members that are you know big tech companies that want this open interop, but we've also been running across other groups that have similar objectives. So we're right now both forming a group and considering whether to merge with others. But uh, the basic goal is just to bring kind of an end user focus to uh, security where everything is open, meaning that it's uh, got just some very core principles like does your service have network APIs over secure channels, SSL? Like that's one criteria. Second one is, is is the data liberated? Can you move the data in and out of your system? And then a third is, do you have scoped authorization? Meaning you don't just have username and passwords, but you could grant limited access for limited operations that work well with existing identity systems. And then final is this data privacy thing that you're mentioning with GDPR and others. It's like, do you have full control and transparency on your data compliance and privacy policies. And so just some of these core tenets, they're very simple. It's just like, does it work with network APIs? Can I control my data? Can I control access? And do is there good privacy controls in place? Those are the kinds of things that enable the solutions that these big tech companies want. Like, give me in a warning if some unauthorized person has entered, entered a secure server area in hours that they weren't scheduled. You know, that kind of simple question doesn't have a simple answer without some of this uh, groundwork. Mm -hmm. So we're putting together uh, opensectech.org. It's open, S-E-C-T-E-C-K-H, rather, .org. And, uh, and that may merge with another group that I recently discovered that had a very similar charter. So, uh, but the goal is to do what we were describing, where uh, enable the end customers without vendors uh, expressing here are the things we need and using their collective buying power to, to have that in effect. Good. Well, you have to keep uh, keep us posted about that. But you mentioned the website there, so yeah. uh, I encourage everybody listening yeah. to check that out and lend your support. Yeah. I think it's definitely um, something that's needed uh, in the security industry. Um, from my side, yeah. if anyone's interested in some of the research we've been doing, we just uh, discussed a lot of these topics in our um, intelligent video analytics report, which is available. You can go to our website, uh, memory.com. Uh, and Carter, if anyone's sort of got a specific question for you, is there, what's the best way to get hold of you? Uh, Carter at cameo.com. It's uh, C-A-R-T-E-R -E at C-A-M-I-O.com. Great. I'm sure hopefully you'll get some, uh, some good questions coming your way. And uh, thanks for taking the time to, to talk to me today. Yeah. Really appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, great. great talking. And thanks everyone for listening. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye.